Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. I just want to do what Jesus did, and that's speak the truth in love and pray for people and, and then let God do His work in every heart. The point is this, being in Christ means more than, than, than just, you know, believing in Christ. It means becoming like Christ. It, it, it means surrendering our will to His will. Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Birth and Mission of John. We're in the first chapter of the book of Luke and we will begin with Sam talking about a little controversy when Zacharias and Elizabeth chose to follow God's instructions to name their son John rather than following tradition. Then we will look at Zacharias' prophecy beginning in verse 67. So let's listen in. So, so here's the, the issue from the, the lips of our Lord. It's not is the tradition itself good or bad, but why are we doing what we're doing? Where's our heart in the midst of the process? Now, this becomes very important to us this morning because in just a little while, we're gonna take the bread and the cup and remember that our Lord gave his disciples the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat as often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me. There would be a heart issue. There would be a, a love of the Lord, a, a connection with the Lord involved with this communion service. Same deal with the cup. So even when tradition is based on revelation, and for us, I say tradition because First Wednesday of the month, first Saturday of the month, first Sunday of the month, we always share in communion. Now, we don't limit it to that. There are other times where we say, let's have a communion service, but you can count on it. And so it becomes a tradition. The ushers know, the pastors know, and most of you are aware, hey, it's going to be communion Sunday. And, and so we prepare our hearts perhaps in, in a way that, well, we might not have last week. We realize we're going to get back to square one. We're going to come back to the place where we, we first reconciled our sin. Where we first found redemption and forgiveness for sin by coming to the cross. And, and, and so when we have a revelation, as we do from Jesus, and we're celebrating a tradition as we are in celebrating communion, Man, there's time for a heart check because God, as you're well aware, looks on the heart. He tests the motivation. He's interested not just in what we're doing, but why we're doing it. What's going on in our hearts and minds in the midst of it? It can be worse than that because some traditions can actually blind us to the greater duties and responsibilities and opportunities of life. Jesus deals with one of those. And all of this is out of Mark, by the way. And, and it's interesting because... He continues as he's talking to them. He says, hey, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, laying aside the commandment of God. You hold the tradition of men, not just their ceremonial washing of their hands, but the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. What was the commandment of God? to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, judging your neighbor because they don't wash the way you wash shows a real arrogance and a real sense of superiority and, and a judgmental spirit on their part. 
Then he gives them another example. And it's one of those things where as he multiplies examples of their disobedience and disregard of God's commands, I'm thinking if they're thinking at all, they're thinking we should have never asked that question. But anyway, he says, the scriptures say, Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Now, it's a very straightforward command. We ordinarily would limit honor to showing respect and not, you know, disrespecting our parents. But the word actually has broader connotations, actually means to provide for them, to care for them. And uh, in the same way our parents cared for us when we were young and helpless, it's possible that our parents get to the point where they are older and helpless and truly in need. The biblical command is to honor them, provide for them, care for them. Because, not just because they did it for you, but because that's what God intended from the beginning. Now, what they were doing is they were going to the temple and they thought they'd found a loophole. They would dedicate everything they had to God. And then when their parents were in need, they'd say, man, really like to help you out. Mom, dad, darn, we just dedicated everything to the Lord. Now that would be okay if they'd actually given it all over to the Lord, but they weren't at all. They were just saying, Lord, it's all yours. But they still held on to it, you see. And they thought they'd found a loophole. Now here's the crazy part. If they'd actually dedicated it to the Lord, then the question needs to be, what do you want us to do with it? And God would say, honor your father and your mother. Take care of them, provide for them. It's not, well, no, that stuff belongs to the Lord. If it does, then you do what he wants you to do with it. And, and what Jesus says is they were making the word of God of no effect through their traditions, which were handed down. And he said, and many such things you do. So if traditions are harmless and they don't contradict anything in scripture, violate any principle of scripture, well, then they're fine. But if we have a revelation from God pitted against a tribulation or, or, or a, um, you know, tradition of man, well, then we have to back off and say, Lord, we're going to do your will. And that's exactly what needed to happen here. Well, Peter, and this is the last illustration, and then we'll press on back into our passage. Peter tells us that if we call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, we're to conduct ourselves throughout the time of our stay here in fear, knowing... You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's saying we learned a lot of things by watching mom and dad. We learned a lot of things by watching those in school, or those we looked up to. And, and here's the deal. So many things that we just accept as a culture are flat out contrary to the revealed will of God. I'll give you a radical example of this. When I grew up as a young man, abortion in America was illegal. And, uh, you know, there was a big push in the late 60s and early 70s to make what they called abortion rare and safe. I think those are the two words. It's something like that. And so the idea was, well, you know, there are extraordinary circumstances and in rare situations, we need to make sure that the mother's protected and the child could be aborted. And in 1973, they passed a law, Roe versus Wade went through. 
that said abortion is now the law of the land and legal. Here's the problem. Since that time, 49 million babies have been aborted in the United States. Now, you know I'm not a soapbox preacher. I, I'm not up week after week saying this is my issue or this is my issue or this is my issue. But here's what I am saying. God gives us the gift of life. He says children are a heritage and a gift from the Lord. And we've aborted 49 million what, to keep abortion rare and safe? It's unthinkable. How many people, well, how many Jews died in the Holocaust? Six million. That number pales in comparison to the amount of children that have been aborted. And, and here's why I share this in this context with you, God's kids, is every single gal here, with the exception of those as old as me, every one of you have been raised and, and taught as you were coming up, I'm not saying in your home, if your parents were Christians, I'm sure they taught you what I'm teaching you. But, but if you were just in school or you're in public school, you were raised to believe that this is a personal issue. It's your body. It's your choice. No, it's a human being. It is a gift. That child is a gift from God. And, and so the whole culture can say, well, this is what's right. And God says, no, this is what's right. And, and, and so for us, it's essential that we know what does God's word say and that, that we stand up in the culture. Now, I'm not talking about picketing and rioting and all those things. I never see Jesus do it since he's our role model. I'm thinking, okay, I know people do it. They have every right to do it. But, but for me as a believer, I just want to do what Jesus did and that speak the truth in love and pray for people and, and then let God do his work in every heart. The point is this, being in Christ means more than, than, than just, you know, believing in Christ. It means becoming like Christ. It, it, it means surrendering our will to his will. Here's an example. Say you grew up in one of those places where people were into headhunting or cannibalism or polygamy. You come to Christ do you think when the Thanksgiving comes around and everybody gets ready, oh, let's go do our headhunting. Are you going to just join the party? No, you're going to say, I can't headhunting. Man, I'm a Christian. Cannibalism, no way. Polygamy, ah, always was a bad idea. But now you have a way out. And, and the point is, again, when someone comes to Christ, no matter what they've believed, God wants us to now know the truth and walk in the truth and walk in obedience to his will revealed in his word. So then we have to ask, is there anything from the past you're clinging to, holding on to some idea, some concept, some, yeah, but, but, I, but for me, you know, I know that's what you think. Listen, it should never be what do I think or what do you think? It should only be what does God say? That, that's as Christians, our only issue, we come back to the word of God. His word is light to us. His word is truth. His word. Well, at this point, again, they have to settle the issue. They give Zacharias the, the pen. He writes on the paper, his name is John. And they all begin to celebrate and, and rejoice. And they begin to say, what kind of child is this child going to be. They recognized something special was going on because of all that had taken place. Well, verse 67, and that's how far down we got. His father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, 
for he has visited and redeemed his people has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This man whose entire life had been spent focused on God, that was the ministry of the priest to pray to praise, to offer sacrifice, but, but his entire life had been focused on God. Now he is about to prophesy. In other words, he's going to proclaim some things to the people around him. And I want you to note, the first thing he prophesies is focused on God. There's no way to break that habit. And, and there's a picture here for those of us who are parents. Man, we're to be praying and, and praising and focused on God so that our children can see it. If that wasn't us in the early years, we do it now so they can see it now. Because there's nothing like doing what's right as an example to them of here's what God wants to do in you. There are three words that are used here that are just so important and so profound. It says that, that God was blessed because he had visited and redeemed his people. The word redeemed here means to set free by paying a ransom. It speaks of a slave being set free or it speaks of a prisoner being set free. And we just saw an example of this. Pirates. They took a ship. It happened to have an American captain and an American crew and the pirates demanded a ransom. They said, we'll set them free if you'll pay the ransom. Well, our government decided to go with plan B and that's addressed here as well. Second word, horn. It says a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That word horn speaks of power and it's not just deliverance, not just set free. It speaks of the destruction of the enemies resulting in peace, health and prosperity. And that's exactly what happened to those pirates. Those captives were set free because the pirates were, well, they were taken out. And, and when he begins to proclaim here, God's visited and redeemed his people. He's saying, and again, he's speaking, and we saw this last time, as if this was all a done deal. Hey, John's just been born. The Redeemer, Jesus, has not yet been born. But he knows the prophecies. And it's been pointed out, by the way, that everything he says is directly out of the Old Testament, connected to the, the, the prophecies and promises of God. And the only scripture he had at that point so he says, God has redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets. And then the third word is saved. And he says, he saved us from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Now, for Israel at that time, when they thought of salvation, they always thought in terms, and perhaps not all of them, but the majority of them thought in terms of political oppression. They were looking for someone who would redeem them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And that's why even his disciples would say, are you now going to establish your kingdom? They were so excited about the coming kingdom because it meant that Rome would be crushed and God would rule in righteousness. But Jesus, you're aware, I hope you're aware, didn't come just to solve political Issues. No, he came to deal with the greater issues, eternal issues, spiritual issues, the spiritual separation that is a direct result of our own sin, the moral corruption that is a direct result of our own sin. Jesus came to save us from our sins. 
not just the penalty of sin, but from the very power of sin. And, and that's what this passage is saying. He sent the Redeemer to bring forth the horn of salvation that we would be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. And so that's exactly what Jesus does. He saved us from our sins. I already read it to you. Let me read it to you again. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That was the price of our redemption, the precious blood of Jesus. We'll come back to it. Well, at this point in verse 72, he says to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. He mentions that, that all of this is the fulfillment of his promise to show mercy to his people. It is the fulfillment of his holy covenant made with Abraham. And then he says the oath. And, and here's a cool word picture, touched on it in our first study, I believe, in Luke. John means God is gracious. Zacharias means God remembers Elizabeth means his oath. Had they named the kid Zacharias, it would have been God remembers, God remembers his oath. And that would be fine. But, but when the three get together, it means God is gracious and God remembers his oath. It reminds us that it's the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God that made it possible for us to know and be transformed by our God. Well, verse 74 says to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Now remember, he's speaking to an eight-day-old child. So it's doubtful that John's really picking up on any of this, but it's clearly all been recorded because here we are reading it. And he gives us the purpose of our salvation that having been freed from sin and self and, and spiritual oppression and every other thing that would hinder, that we could serve him, that we could serve him without fear, that we could serve him in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. And you, child, he says, will be the prophet of the highest. Third time he uses that phrase, the highest. First, when he speaks of the Lord being the son of the highest, earlier in verse uh, 32. Then the power of the highest in verse 35, explaining the process. And then now, speaking of John, the prophet of the highest. So clearly speaking of the father and their relationship to the father. And then he says, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. The Lord here, a reference to our Lord and Savior Jesus, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. The word remission and all of these words, theological terms that are so important, you know, medically, if someone has cancer or they have leukemia, something like that, and it goes into remission, it doesn't mean that the, the disease is gone, but it's no longer ravaging them. And it's a pretty good picture for us because we have been delivered from our sin, but the sin nature still indwells us, still battles against the spirit, trying to dominate our lives. But he's saying, I've put it in remission 
and you can keep control of it. How? Well, you submit to God and, and you resist the devil and, and he'll flee. You submit to God and you resist your own temptations and, and you'll overcome them. Well, again, he goes on to say, and, and you child, the prophet of the highest, you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. John's mission, John's ministry was going to be announcing and defining the true nature of salvation, the true nature of deliverance, not a political issue, not just a, you know, idolatrous or immoral, but, but a sinner in, in, by nature and by act in need of forgiveness. John was going to announce and define what salvation was all about. And he did it in a word. We made mention of it, I think, last time or the week before. The word was repent. And John basically did two things. He called people to repent and then he pointed people to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, it's not enough to tell people you need to stop going the wrong way. You need to stop living the wrong way. They need to know what's the right way. And Jesus tells us he is the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, tradition says all roads lead to God. Jesus says, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Tradition says good people will make it to God. The word of God says there are no good people. There are none good. No, not one. And so we don't want a traditional view of everlasting life or the afterlife. We want a biblical view of those realities. Well, he goes on and we need to get to it so we can share in communion. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way. He reminds us again of his motive, his mercy, his long suffering, his love for us. And then the means he sent his only begotten son, the light of the world to lay down his life that we might have life, life eternal and life abundant. And then we read in verse 80, the child grew, speaking of John, became strong in spirit, was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. One last practical observation and we'll pray and share in communion together. Listen, later in this same book, we'll read of our Lord Jesus, that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Those are the four ways all of us grow, by the way. And wisdom means to grow mentally. Uh, in stature means to grow physically. In, in favor with God means to grow spiritually. And, and in favor with man means to grow socially. John would only grow in three of those four ways. Why? Was something wrong with him? Was he deficient? No. God took him to the wilderness, to the desert, made him different. He didn't fit in. He wasn't a cool kid at school. He wasn't somebody that just blended. No, he stood out. And I share this with you because I'm absolutely convinced that God wants to use our kids, this generation of children, to stand up and say, doesn't matter what the culture's been saying. It doesn't matter how the society's been living. What matters is the truth of the word of God. And for them to do that, man, we need to do a couple things. We need to pray for them. We need to plant the word of God in them. There's no substitute for that. If you think they're hour in Sunday school once or twice a week, 
will be sufficient. It won't because they have hundreds of hours, what, 168 hours. So, so whenever they're awake, they're bombarded and, and, and you're gonna need to invest in them. Pray for them, plant the truth in them, be an example for them. I wanna share a few verses with you all that as a parent have comforted and instructed me over the years. Psalm 127.3 tells us that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. 3 John 1.4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Proverbs 22.6 says to train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Isaiah 54.13 tells us that all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. In summary of these four verses together, there is no greater way for us to honor the gift that God has given us than to point them to Jesus. It honors God and it brings us joy. And the investment of our time and wisdom in teaching them the word will bring them a lifetime of peace as well as peace eternally. Truly parents, could there be anything more important than this? The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.